to further review as this is one of Frank's favorite songs. Do not listen to him. <laughs> he is selling you snake oil. We don't sell snake oil, but we provide an entertaining and thought-provoking sports show on 88.3 WXUT. Saturdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. And sometimes we provide a life lesson. Ain't that right, Frank? Life lesson, my ass. Don't be a hater. And tune in to AFR Saturday mornings, 11 to 1 on WXUT. Hola. Welcome back to 88.3 WGT's After Further Review. As we're here in the studio live, got it on my Facebook live as well. I'll share it on the After Further Review uh, page. And we got David, the man of God, Harris, here on the phone lines. Uh, we'll start off with the NFL previews. We've been doing it. And actually, NFL preseason started on Thursday, and people are actually getting hyped and gambling on NFL preseason not only is it preseason it's the first game it's the hall of fame game by the way it is uh uh the nfl hall of fame weekend which uh actually it's hmm now that i think about it this year was it is it earlier this year or usually it is the first preseason game right david yeah it's usually kind of that hall of fame weekend they kind of it depends early august sometimes late july kind of just depending but yeah it's usually the first Okay, yeah. Actually, you know, because I went to the USA uh, Youth Basketball uh, uh, Clinic, I think it was two years ago, and they were actually having the festivity. It gets really packed there in the Canton-Cleveland area when it comes to the NFL Hall of Fame. I think that was the year Jason Taylor uh, got inducted. It was a couple years ago in the NFL Hall of Fame. But it's a great weekend, and the, the fans really love it. I've been to the actual NFL uh, Hall of Fame uh, back in 06, and it's it's a great uh, place uh, or museum. I call it a museum because it's a museum in the history of NFL football. But really, uh, one of the, the one of the things to see there um, in Canton, uh, Ohio. But uh, we're getting looking at the NFL uh, NFC South division. Do you get hyped for NFL preseason though? I don't. I, I it, because let's face it, the, the stars aren't going to play, or and especially the first games, they're only going to play one or two series. And then they're done, and then you see the, nothing but the backups and guys that are fringe guys. And I understand that you know they're trying to you know make a team. You got to get the looks for them. But I don't really. Get, I think I get more hyped when it gets towards the end of the preseason than the beginning. But then again, I'm not a football junkie. Yeah, I think kind of week one and week two are really about the rookies, the first year players, some of the new acquisitions. Those are the guys that you want to get into camp and kind of get them implementing the playbook, kind of getting accustomed to with kind of how things go. And then, like you said, those dark horses, those late-round flyers that kind of have a chance to make a roster. And so for me as a football guy, like I'm like, okay, I understand the football's not going to be the, like what we see NFL week 1 through 17. But at the same time, it's, yeah, it's football. And you just see some of these, okay, oh, I haven't seen him before, or – or that guy looks like he has a chance to make this roster. Let me check out a couple of drives or possessions with him just to see how he clicks with the offense. And then in particular, thinking about the Hall of Fame game, you have Dirk Cutter returning back as the offensive coordinator for Atlanta. You have Vic Fangio, the new head coach in Denver. And so who, by the way, was passing. Who was passing? He was, he was actually passing a kidney stone the day of the actual game. They didn't know if he was going to actually make it. 
Yeah, I mean, that's just football one-on-one. It's like, kidney stone, yeah, that's all right. I have a game this evening. Let's just get this taken care of, and then we'll get back out on the floor. But, yeah, I think this first two weeks are really for the diehards to really see who their players are for their favorite teams, kind of some of those recognizable names or kind of new acquisitions. And then week three, like you said, when we get a half from the first team starters, that's really your kind of test as far as what you're going to expect in the regular season. All right, well, we're getting the NFC South division, which some people are saying is probably one of the most competitive divisions possibly in, in the NFL besides the actual AFC West, the NFC North, and then they say the NFC South. So are you ready, David? All ready to go. All right, so we'll get this music on for you here. And uh, go ahead, David. All right, we're going to go from best to worst in my, terms of my predictions. For those of you that are new to the program, key game, key loss. My one big question for each team, and then my prediction is how we're going to do these previews. And we're going to start in the bayou, where I think the New Orleans Saints are once again the class of the NFC South. For me, their key gain is Latavius Murray. He's a running back. Mark Greenberg left for the big money to go to Baltimore. And so you really need a backup to pick up for Alva Kamara because you really don't want him having 300, 350 touches a game or in the season. So kind of having uh, Latavius Murray come in, similar to that Ingram role where you can take a couple touches, do some of the goal line duties, but, yeah, this is basically to keep Alvin Kamara healthy, keep him from having too many touches, and then just another one for Drew Brees. My key loss for the New Orleans Saints is Max Unger. You really don't think about offensive linemen until they're gone. And so, for me, Max Unger being one of those veteran presences, kind of being a center, having that communication, both with Drew Brees and the offensive line, I think it's always hard for you to replace a veteran center just because they're so kind of the cerebral knowledge that centers have you really don't talk about and I think it's one of those gifts that kind of just go underneath the radar but I think Max Hunger at least for the first six weeks of the season is going to be a huge loss as that offensive line looks to kind of get some chemistry develop some rhythm and my one big question is Michael Thomas actually good or is he just a product of Drew Brees? Because if you kind of go through the history of Drew Brees in New Orleans, you have all these quarterbacks, oh, excuse me, all these wide receivers that play well under Drew Brees, and then they go somewhere else, and it's like, eh, he's all right. So I think if Michael Thomas is actually worth the money that he's getting, and he's not just, you know, oh, I'm going to get a slot eight yards at a time, if he can actually be a number one wide receiver, I think there's no reason that this team can't get to the Super Bowl. But again, is it a part of the market saying that Michael Thomas is worth his money? Do we think, hey, you're this good? Do you want to get this money? Act kind of a combination of both. He's good, Drew Brees is good, and then the topics is that prolific. But and the reason I say that is because Michael Thomas got this big extension where he's now the highest paid wide receiver in the NFL. 
And me personally, I don't even think he's the best receiver in the division. And so, so who you is? kind of have that. Hmm? Who is? I still say Julio Jones is better than Michael Thomas right now. Even though Julio Jones is a little older, and he's lost. No, I don't want to say he's lost a step, but if you're starting a team right now, you would rather have that big play Julio Jones rather than kind of the guy that gets a lot of the stuff underneath to Michael Thomas. Well, here's but, the here's the question that you haven't asked: Are the Saints over that bad call that happened against them against the LA Rams? That's that's the question right there because some people are saying they're still complaining about it. New Orleans is still complaining about it. They're trying to have lawsuits that the NFL cheated them and it was gamesmanship and they should have overturned the call. If that's still lingering. I don't think they're going to do well. I mean, they might do well in, in the regular season or barely make the playoffs, but they need to get over it. I mean, they're a talented team, but at the same time, though, think we've seen this before in the past where people have bad calls and players just can't get over it mentally. That's that's only my own question. If they moved on from that, then they could be a Super Bowl contender because what's going to, you know, in the, in game of the, in the game of football, it's always going to be bad calls. Sometimes, you know, it could be a game, once again, either late in the season, if they're in the playoff race, or if they're in the playoffs and they don't get a call their way, how will they respond? That's my only question mark to them. And I, and I, I, tell you, I think Thomas isn't a bad receiver. Um, but this happens in the NFL. Guys are going to hold out. They, they think they want to get, get the way they want to get paid. And I, I don't have all his numbers in front of me. But the numbers that he put up, were comparable to a lot of guys that are making a lot of money. And I think he was only in the hundreds of thousands of dollars range. I think, isn't he still on his rookie contract, I believe? Yeah, he was getting very little money. So he was barely in the millions. Right. Well, I wouldn't say barely in the millions. He was way off from the I mean, let's be honest. We're all average people here. So making $400,000 a year, I mean, I think any of us would love to make that. But compared to NFL standards, they're getting him pennies to the dollar. Yeah, and I think... He's worth the money, kind of, when you look at the stats and his success. But I think for me, is it more of being part of that Drew Brees system where you have guys like a Joe Horn in particular, where it's like, he's just your regular old wide receiver. Show him down in New Orleans with Drew Brees. And then, you know, the stats go wide up. And I think that's part of because he plays in that 8-10, to 18-15 yard position where he's kind of that number one option or read for Drew Brees. And so you get the receptions, you get not the huge yards, but you get enough of the volume where kind of does that inflate kind of his production because he's getting so many of the looks as the number one read option. Yeah, hmm. yeah that, that, that'll be, like I said, this this will be an interesting year for the Saints, especially losing Ingram. Um, and plus, Will Drew Brees break down? That they've, they've done stats that have shown that Tom Brady and Drew Brees statistically break down normally in December and going through the playoffs. And that's something that they got to watch out for. I know they're, they're the bionic men out there, but you can't beat Father Time. And I think they can start off real fresh. Um, and we've seen it in Peyton Manning's career, too. Um, the ball isn't on laser sharp. Uh, as it used to be when they were younger. Not to mention New Orleans, that's another thing with the regular season. They have to, if, if Drew Brees is going to be effective, 
they pretty much have to have home field advantage or play teams that are either south or have a dome. If they got to go up anywhere north for the playoffs, I don't really see New Orleans getting in the Super Bowl. Yeah, and I think kind of to your question that you posed, I really don't think that they're over the NFC Championship game. And I kind of know that going in the first two or three weeks, you know the fans are going to bring it up. You know it's going to be part of that media stuff. But I think kind of the important thing with that is that Drew Brees has to be that leader and say, hey, we're moving on, we're moving on. Because I think if the fans hear from Drew Brees that we're moving on and we're not thinking about it, then that's another thing. But I think that part of it's, you know, quarterbacks not really saying anything and quarterbacks being naturally kind of want to keep everything under the radar. But in this sense, I think Drew Brees has to come out and say, hey, New Orleans, I understand that you're still mad. We got to get over it. We'll figure it out. They have new offensive rules. They have new pass interference rules. We'll take care of it. But right now we're thinking about getting to the Super Bowl in Miami. All right, moving on. All right, so thinking about the team that just played this past week, the Atlanta Falcons, I think for me their key game is Dirk Cutter. Mentioned Steve Sarkeesian as kind of, they took a step back, and it was obvious when he was offensive coordinator, and you could see with Matt Ryan not really connecting all that much, understanding Sarge's play calling, and so bringing back Dirk Cutter who had success with Matt Ryan, I think that's going to be huge for this offense. And then also breaking in Chris Lynchham, your first-round draft pick from Boston College to help show up that offensive line. I think that's going to be even better in terms of revitalizing this passing offense because we know Atlanta likes to pass first and pass second. I think for me, along those same lines, their key loss is Kevin Coleman. I think having him as a serviceable Back up to Devontae Freeman. When you know Freeman is coming off of injury, you know he has injury history in the past. I think losing Kevin Coleman, who was one of your more stronger running backs in terms of being able to do the physical 25, 30 touches a game and not have that much wear on the body, I think he will be felt at least within the first two or three weeks to have a couple serviceable backups namely Ito Smith I'm thinking of that can do the job as a backup, but sometimes it's hard to kind of recreate that production. In terms of my one big question for the Atlanta Falcons, how high is this team ceiling? Okay, I understand you get back Dirk Cutter. I understand Matt Ryan is still kind of top half of the league in terms of how good he is. You understand Julio Jones as being a top five wide receiver still. Kind of, where is this team feeling? Knowing that you have to, of course, go through New Orleans in your own division. You know Dallas is getting better. You know that Philadelphia is going to uprise after they had a setback last year. You know where the Rams are at. You know where the Vikings are at. Like, where does Atlanta fit in terms of, like, what, can they be an NFC title contender? Are they a playoff dark horse? Can they even get to the Super Bowl like they had the magical runner a couple years ago? Like, I just don't know what to expect from this team. And knowing that offensively they're good, knowing that defensively they try to shore up that front seven, like, 
can they be a playoff team? Yeah. Can they make a run to the Super Bowl? Sure, why not? But kind of is that their feeling? Is it just there was like last year's Minnesota Vikings where kind of they have the expectations going into the season, coming off of, you know, a rocky year before. But yeah, just where where is Atlanta kind of mentally, physically, psychologically getting into this next season? Moving on, uh, yeah, Atlanta. It's just crazy. Were they like, what are they now? They were up twenty-eight to three, and then their owner said they thought he thought it was a little disrespectful that the Patriots put that on their rings when they beat them last time. And as we know, if you're a team that gets to the Super Bowl, a lot of times a team that loses it a couple years later, they really fall off, and the stars are gone. So this is going to be a put up or shut up year for Atlanta. I don't think if they don't do anything, uh, you're going to see really the team fall apart. And it's also on a. Uh, Matt Ryan is it? You know he played outstanding. Well, was that because of what was it? Kyle, wasn't Kyle Shanahan the offensive coordinator then? Um, a couple yeah, years ago. So. either Shanahan or that was still Kurt Cutter. Right. It, I mean, was it really because of the play calling, or was it because Matt Ryan is a hell of a quarterback? That that's another question mark that's been uh, asked the last couple seasons. So we'll, we'll see about that. Sorry, moving on. The third team in the NFC South. The Carolina Panthers. Train wreck. <laughs> Did you see on TMZ Sports how I guess Cam Newton tries to camouflage himself while trying to shop at Walmart? I mean, he had overalls on with no shirt on and some Coco Chanel scarf on with, you know, one of those, uh, a fedora hat, I think. I mean, just, just you, you know, come on, you're already about 6'5", 240, so you already stick out like a sore thumb that way, and then you wear a Coco Chanel scarf with a fedora, I believe, with overalls with no shirt on, and he just came off a shoulder surgery as well, but once again, kind of a, a, you know, I like to see him play, but kind of an odd character. Yeah, and so kind of thinking about Cam Newton, actually, my key game for the Carolina Panthers is Will Greer the second-round draft pick, who is going to be the backup for Cam Newton. And so if Cam Newton has any kind of side effect kind of from that solar surgery, if he starts playing poorly or not up to par, do you expect Will Greer to be that guy to come in? And there's going to be a lot of pressure on him, knowing that this is a team that, again, not too many years removed from themselves being the Super Bowl. And so you got to... Kind of look at offensively Will Greer as possibly the heir apparent. And what does that look like in terms of the Carolina Panthers offense? What does that look in terms of the leadership position? And then also a couple other key acquisitions. The Carolina Panthers were a team that really tried to share up their defensive front, or defensive side of the ball, excuse me. And so breaking in Gerald McCoy and Bruce Irvin to kind of revamp and revitalize that Carolina Panthers defense, knowing that you lost a lot of pieces, including, and I hate to say it, to still good Julius Peppers, who is playing at like 60 years old. And so kind of what would the Carolina Panthers defense look like with all these kind of young acquisitions, get to the pass rush, and then kind of staying on the defensive side of the ball. My key loss for them is veteran Mike Adams, who is a safety and an already kind of questionable, shaky secondary. 
you kind of address the corner a little bit. But in terms of safety, like that's going to be a huge question mark in the, the season. And so for the Carolina Panthers, who bulked up their front seven, how are they going to kind of stop the big play through the air with the passing attack? And so for me, my one big question, thinking about the offense and where Cam Newton is, kind of can Christian McCaffrey be the focal point in this offense? Because I think they're trying to get him the more of the ball and him be similar to that uh, Le'Veon Bell, Todd Gurley, kind of being able to run the ball 15, 20, 25 times, but then also be a focal point in the passing attack. And so if Christian McCaffrey is the focal point in this offense, what does that do not only for Cam Noon, who's clearly coming back from the shoulder surgery, but a young guy in Will Greer who's probably going to be that heir apparent. And can you orchestrate your offense around a running back who's that kind of a dual threat when you really don't have, I don't want to say the best wide receivers, but a lot of your receivers are still young and have a lot left to prove. Hmm. Yeah, the, the, the Rivera, do you think this is the last hurrah for them? I think Ron Rivera has maybe two years left in the leash. I think this year, kind of knowing that Cam Newton is coming back from that surgery, it's a year of, like, you really don't know what's happening. Okay, do you try to experiment with Will Greer being kind of that starting quarterback for a couple weeks, especially if Cam Newton re-injures or re-aggravates that soldier? I don't know. And that's kind of one of the things about the Carolina Panthers in general, because they're kind of that hamster wheel, but when they don't, or when they're not in that hamster wheel, they're, you know, 10 to 6, 11 and 5, and they're, you know, challenging for an NFC championship, or they have that potential to be. And because they spent so much money shoring up that defensive front, like the expectation is that, okay, now we have what it takes, at least on the defensive side of the ball, let's try to address the offense. Let's see where Cam Noon's at. But I, I think he's on a little bit of a leash, but I wouldn't be surprised if within the next year or two they try to think about the next era or who's going to be that next head coach. Hmm. Okay, next. And then finally bringing up the rear, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Really? That Again? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. This is this is gonna. It, they got a new coach though. Yeah, and he's my key gain actually. I think Bruce Arians taking a year off, mainly for health reasons, mainly because he probably just needed to get out of the house because his wife was getting tired of him. But I think he provides a little bit of invigoration to the Tampa Bay team. They say he's a quarterback whisperer. They say he's an offensive guru, and with him coming in. And this kind of leads into my one big question. Is this going to be Jameis's last play? Because he's had time after time chances to get rid of Ryan Fitzpatrick, who was a serviceable backup. Like, this is Jameis's year to be, hey, you are number one overall pick. Put up or shut up. And if he doesn't put up, I honestly think that Jameis is not the starter next year. You think so? 
I mean, I, I yeah. mean, he. Let's face it. How many years has he been in the league? About four. I mean, it, 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 they should know by now whether or not he's the franchise guy. And he just and if Bruce Arians can't get him to turn him around, and you're right, it, it's probably going to be looking in a different direction, especially if they're in the lot. Or not, I wouldn't say the lottery, but if they got a top ten pick, they're probably looking for a quarterback next season. Yeah, and I think because there's a strong list of top tier quarterbacks, you mentioned the two us, you mentioned the Herbert out in Oregon. Like, there are quarterbacks that can come in and be that quote-unquote guy. And so I think because Jameis, like, you, can, you can't say it's offensive coordinator. You can't say it's a head coach because Bruce Arians has literally kind of been known within this league as a quarterback whisperer, as being one who's able to take quarterbacks and make them take that next leap. And granted, some of now, your key losses in terms of Deshaun Jackson and Adam Humphreys, two reliable wide receivers, like, and so you kind of can say, oh, well, you know, he hasn't had a whole lot of weapons, but he still has some serviceable wide receivers. And so now it's all I was on Jamin. So, I'll... David? Yep. Okay, so that's what you... So you got the Saints... Uh, then Atlanta, then the Falcons. yeah, Atlanta. Then um, I know Tampa Bay is coming up the rear, and then Carolina's there. That's a tough division. Is this gonna not? <laughs> is this gonna be one of those divisions where it always happens in the NFL where someone has a losing record, but somehow they get in? Like the first place team, we've seen years where like it was like seven and nine or something. I I don't think that. I think if there's two divi- or two teams out of the same division that get in, I think this may be one of them, but that's dependent on Atlanta. And so for me, my predictions, I have New Orleans winning the division at 12-4, and four, Atlanta going 10-6, and six, the Panthers at 8-8, eight and eight, and then Tampa Bay at 4-10, or 4-12. And wow. so kind of thinking about Atlanta – It'll be more about those wild cards and how the other ten and six teams are, and those kind of you know tiebreakers that go down to you know how many times did you wear your red jersey? True. So. I was looking at the uh, passing yards. Julio Jones was number one in twenty eighteen, and Michael uh, Thomas was number six, and he's getting some money. Yeah, not just him getting some money, but if you look at guys like Julio Jones, who's thinking about, hey, I should get some more money. If you think about guys like DeAndre Hopkins in Houston, he's like, if Michael Thomas is getting 80, like, I should be getting like 120. Well, he's, you know, he's from OSU, so, you know, he, he needs to get that bread. Uh, think about it. He's, he was first in receptions, sixth in yards, tied for ninth in touchdowns, but nine. Yeah, and kind of that's the pro and the benefit of being Drew Brees' number one option knowing that in the high-powered passing offense like New Orleans has, you're going to get your touches. Yeah, but uh, but then again, though, can you say the same thing with Julio Jones, but he's the number one option, but he's getting double teamed? I mean, that, some people brought up that argument. Well, I think... Oh. 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 I'm kind of trying to figure out the offensive play 
in terms of both teams. And so it's kind of with Atlanta, it's a uh, it's a receiver that likes to go deep a lot more. And so they like to have him run that straight fly route and just kind of throw it deep up to you. I think with New Orleans, because they have Michael Thomas run a lot of the underneath routes, you're not really going to double-team a guy that likes to go 8 to 10, 8 to 15 yards. Like, while you can, I think it's a lot more easier to scheme up defensively to be like, hey, Julio Jones, you're a lot taller. Just We know we need to have at least two guys back up there to jump up with you. And so I think that's where some of the difference is in terms of their playing positions. I think So basically he's a he takes the top off the defense and he gets the long passes while Thomas is more of a dink and dunk guy or quick slant guy. Yeah, and that's where you see some of the like fifteen receptions for a hundred yards or, you know, eighteen receptions in a game for hundred twenty. Mm-hmm. Like Julio Jones it's like that receiver that gets six receptions for, you know, 160 yards. Right. But but then again, though, Michael Thomas also gets those quick slants. He probably gets a lot of yards off of the yak, too. Oh, yeah. He definitely gets the ball within eight yards, and he's running for another 15-20. Right, yeah. And Whereas Julio's is, just like, I'm just going, and you just throw me off the ball. Right. Throw up, jump forward, catch it, and then he's down right there. Yak is yards after catch. So that's why I went with the yak. Well, David, once again, thank you for the – the, the preview of the NFC South. We've pretty much done almost all of the divisions. Haven't we? We've done NFC East, the NFC North, the NFC South. Um, we AFC haven't, West. We haven't done the NFC West, which will be left for them. In the, on the AFC side, we've done what? The West? We've done the West and... The East? Yeah, we did East. So, so, so basically, we got left is the north and the south, and the NFC West uh, is left for the for the preview. So we're, we're we're grinding it down for you here on eighty eight point After further review, make sure you check out our SoundCloud page and on iTunes. That's where we get the podcast. Me and Dave are gonna take a quick break. And when we return, we'll talk about Major League Baseball deadlines, winners and losers. Uh, this will be an interesting one. As you know, the baseball season is past the halfway point. And as you know, when August comes, it starts to wind down with baseball. And then football gets in high mode. I always kind of feel sad for, for baseball, though, because it's almost like the forgotten about sport, especially after August. September, you, nobody talks about baseball at all. And then it kind of peaks up because of the playoffs in October. But, man, boy, does uh, uh, it get kind of uh, um, forgotten about when football's in full full thing. Yeah, kind of really about mid-July. Once we start thinking about, hey, training camp's about to start up. It's like, well, there goes baseball. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Um, well, David, uh, like I said, give us a little preview of the Major League Baseball. All right. What is Houston doing in terms of this fantasy baseball? And why didn't the Yankees get anyone? I mean, they have like $18 billion. Mm, that'll be interesting. We'll talk about that and more here on 88.3 WTs. After further review, we'll be back after this. 